Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills of cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Watroba, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. On this week's episode of the show, Stephen and Armand welcome Joseph Lowry of The Athletic. For segment one, the boys talk all things U.S. men's national team, from Greg Berhalter to names to watch in the January camp. Be on the lookout for segment two, which will be available Tuesday as the impact of the MLS Superdraft is discussed and whether or not youth can win in MLS. Please make sure you follow the show on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to leave a review for the show. Now, let's get to today's show. Alrighty, fellas. Welcome, welcome. Joseph, it is actually your first time, although we did record a full episode with you, and that went down the toilet because we had technical issues all throughout. So, welcome back, but really welcome. Thank you. It gives me, you know, a second chance at a first impression. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Armand, how are we doing? I'm just marveling at how cool a Twitter handle is Joe and Cleats. Like, what what a what a great Twitter handle. Like I, you hear like, oh my Twitter handle at Armand Kafai, it's just my name. But Joe and Cleats is just so catchy. I think maybe I should just change my name to, you know, Joe and Cleats. Forget Joseph Lowry. Yeah. Let's just go let's just go for it. Yeah, Honestly, Joe and Cleats. I think you probably should. That's how we refer <laughs> to you uh, on the show when we're texting each other who to get on the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's talk about this training camp and the U.S. men's national team. And Joseph, I know you had written something about Pulisic going to Chelsea, but give us your take on, on you know, your expectation, what the signing means. Well, I think – at this point, it's a pretty low-risk move for Pulisic, especially because he's not really playing for Dortmund right now. So if he was going to move, and it, it really did seem like he was going to move at the end of the season, it's probably the timing is good. And I think he has the potential to fit pretty well for Chelsea. Uh, he's comfortable basically across the front three like you know, under a striker. Um, so sorry, um, Chelsea's manager doesn't really play with the central attacking midfielder, but he does like to rotate his wingers inside. And so I think Pulisic... 
he's flexible, he's young, he can be probably molded into, you know, the style of attacker that Chelsea wants. So I think if he can find a way to get on the field in the Premier League next season, it, it could work out pretty well for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm just nervous that being 20 years old, being the 27th most expensive player in the history of the sport, third most expensive player under the age of 20, behind stars Mbappe and former teammate Dembele at Dortmund, third biggest transfer in Chelsea history, uh, there's some expectations on this young guy. And uh, we, we had... Brandon Busby of the London Blue podcast coming on, you know, there's some mixed feelings among Chelsea fans. I think the biggest upside to Pulisic is the fact he's only 20. He's 20 and he's American. I think those are the two biggest upsides. I mean, because we've seen Pulisic at his, I don't know if his peak is the right word, but when he's playing uh, consistently, he puts on good shifts. I mean, we've seen with the national team at a more central position, but with, uh, Dortmund has obviously been more of a winger, and he's played very well. You know, some big matches, including some matches in the Champions League. Um, my my only thing is the price tag. To be quite honest with you, I think that's the thing that is making people kind of okay. Like, is he worth it or is he not? But I mean, I'm a, I'm gonna keep saying what Busby uh, said in the last podcast. It's not our money, so why should we care? But in terms of in terms of value, I'm not sure if he's worth seventy three million dollars at this moment right now. Wait, 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 wait. You have a problem with the amount of money Chelsea played for the player? Now, that sounds familiar. Why? I said that I said that bef- the final episode of 2018. I said, be careful with the price tag because the price tag is going to dictate the expectations on this youngster. Exactly. And that's the, it's going to it's going to dictate that and figure out why he's not worth 73 million dollars. I think I said at the end of uh our you go listen to our other, our last podcast, uh, segment three um, of our Pulisic special. I said that if he's a consistent starter, this is a huge win for Pulisic and a huge win for U.S. soccer. But is a consistent starter good enough for $73 million? The thing is, we know the amount of money getting thrown around for players. I mean, it's just inflated. Yeah, and uh, to jump in, I think... Pulisic's price tag is going to follow him around, and it's unavoidable at this point. And that's every player, though. So if he becomes a solid Premier League starter, then I don't think we'll really look back at this transfer and say it was too much. But the expectations are going to be high for him, and fans are going to you know, expect certain things from him because they paid $73 million for him. And, and don't forget, Chelsea is going to make a lot of the money back in jersey sales alone. I mean, we know how Ronaldo quickly made up a lot of the the 100 million that Juventus spent or Paul Pogba when he moved from Juventus to Man United. I mean, jersey sales do a lot and the marketing ability now for Chelsea Football Club in the United States is endless. The sky's the limit, especially around Christian Pulisic. Just wait for the the commercials to come out. Now, Pulisic said something really interesting and I I think this is a statement that I, I think should be worth noting. Now, I'm reading from an ESPN article just a couple days ago, and Pulisic doesn't believe the lofty price tag and the bigger spotlight will increase the pressure on him to perform for the national team. He says, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we can put some more pressure on some of the other guys now. I understand my role in the national team. I have to show these guys the way I've been around for a while. Now, guys, what do we make of this quote? Because I think this is an interesting quote. What is he doing with this pressure game here? This quote, actually, I'm not really sure 
what he's talking about. I mean, I don't disagree, right? I don't think necessarily that this transfer puts any more pressure on Pulisic. He's still the face of the national team, and he has, again, high expectations. Fans expect a lot from him when he puts on the national team jersey. So I don't think moving from Dortmund, a big club in Europe, to Chelsea, another big club in Europe, really is going to change that too much. Um, maybe with his line about putting pressure on the other guys, do you think? Do you guys think that refers to the younger players, um, maybe being more ambitious, or to some of the older players who, who have come back domestically and are playing in MLS? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe yeah, he maybe wants them to be more ambitious and and perform at a higher level. Uh, I think Stephen and I talked about this uh, a couple of days ago when he pointed out this quote. It's a really, I think it's a really weird quote to you know throw out there. You know, talking about you know, oh, I, want, I think we put some more pressure on some of the other guys now. Um, it's such. I, I don't. Why? Why is that included in there? I feel like it's a really interesting little bit that's kind of like, okay, like, hey, like, there's no pressure on me, but everyone else, they have a lot more pressure to you know become better. No, Christian Pulisic. First off, I agree. The pre- the pressure won't increase for him to perform. This guy ca- almost carried the U.S. to a World Cup. That's as much pressure as you can get at this point. I'm not sure who he's referring to, Joseph. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? I'm, I'm not sure. So I, I think there's different ways to take this quote. I wonder if it's his young age and just the lack of leadership right here. I think the proper way of saying this is I don't think the price tag follows me around with the U.S. men's national team. I'm one of 11. We're going to, you know, everybody has their role. We know the failure happened 2018. There's a new regime coming in. We're going to pick up the pieces and we're going to build momentum going forward. I think that would be a better statement. The pressure, it's like maybe he feels too much pressure and he wants the other guys to feel it. Maybe it's he's calling out the media for not putting enough pressure on other players and he has all the spotlight. Remember, in 2018, when they failed to qualify for the World Cup, I'm sorry, but the media was soft. Bruce Arena took a lot of the blame, but at the end of the day, it was about the 90 minutes spent on Trin- in Trinidad and Tobago against a B team, and they couldn't get another goal. So maybe it's the pressure on players, especially the ones in MLS. Get your ass to Europe. Yeah, and I actually, I think I'm going slightly against what you were saying there, uh, Stephen, but I don't have a huge problem with the quote. Maybe, maybe it could have been phrased a little bit differently, um, but I think... You know, we do need more pressure around the national team environment. And this is partly what you were saying. So I do agree with you here that the media, you know, we we should be looking at our players and encouraging them and you know, prompting them and, and questioning, you know, where they're playing and how they're getting minutes and where those minutes are coming from and the quality of the opponent that they're up against. So I think in a way, I actually kind of do appreciate this quote because I think it's something that needs to be said. And maybe maybe it shouldn't be coming from Pulisic. Maybe it should be coming from the media. but. Either way, I think I appreciate the basic sentiment if I'm interpreting it correctly. Do you guys think there's more pressure on players now, though? I feel like maybe not, maybe not as much, but I feel like there is a bit, a little bit more pressure on some of these younger players to leave and not go uh, to uh, to MLS academies and instead, you know, go to um, maybe like the Bundesliga. I think the Bundesliga. We saw Tyler Adams go there and. Yeah, but he, he spent time in MLS. I don't think MLS is necessarily the wrong, you know, first step to take. I think if you can get on the field before you're 20 and play regularly, absolutely. Now, if you're a Josh Sargent, yeah, absolutely go to Europe. Well, I mean, he's 18 years old. He already scored a couple goals. 
I think Pulisic sees the landscape and being in Europe, I think, has changed his outlook on U.S. soccer a little bit and understanding the importance because he was able to move at 17, a much younger age than you're allowed to because of the dual national. He understands, wait a minute, U.S. soccer here has some problems. And if we can get more people to come to Europe, maybe that's what he's referring to in the pressure of where you're playing and, you know, this is the U.S. men's national team being in Germany, going to London. Now all I understand the pressure there is. But at the end of the day, they still play in CONCACAF, right? So the pressures are really only going to come till they start playing in the World Cup. Unless, unless there is another Copa America where they're a part of and they're playing the Brazils, the Argentinas, you know, the, the heavyweights of Conobol. The The pressure, though... I think it's slowly coming, but again, I do think it is a little soft uh, because we aren't, you know, some players aren't being pushed. And, I mean, we saw that, you know, with, you know, players like, I guess, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador. Although Altador, I think, is a really interesting situation because he was in a really bad spot at the time and he came back to Tim at Toronto and kind of, it kind of helped his career a little bit. But, I mean, guys like, May potentially Michael Bradley not pushing themselves and uh, come to Toronto uh, for the big big paycheck. It's, the, the question is though, if he's talking about the older guys, can you blame the older guys for coming to get a bigger paycheck? No, I don't. I don't think you can blame them exactly. At all. No, no, not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, you play sports to to feed your family. You want the paycheck exactly. to to feed your family and set up your kids for our generations to come in the long term. And remember, when Michael Bradley and Josie Altador came, the landscape of U.S. soccer was still this is significantly different. I don't think people understand. U.S. soccer is, is no – tomorrow is a different day than it was today. It continues to grow. So I think Michael Bradley and Josie Altador, although Josie Altador is a lot younger than people think he is. I think he's, what, 27, 28? Something like that. He's on the right side. A 30. I think Michael Bradley's on the wrong side. I, I need to go double check this. These players came to MLS because MLS needed a marketing ploy. They gave him the big paychecks. And for the large part, it worked. Michael Bradley's going down in history for TFC. Why? Because they won the fake treble. So <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> the fake treble. <laughs> it did. No, it did. And like we all like we all mentioned, can you blame them? I mean, so I guess if you're talking about more of the, the younger players, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I think Pulisic's whispering to some guys, hey, if you have an offer in like Germany, come to Germany. St- stuff like that. Trying to encourage more people to go to Europe. And I think that's going to be a positive step for the U.S. Miss National Team. Agreed. All righty. So let, let's move on to training camp. And uh, Joseph, uh, we'll throw this out to you first. Names to pay attention in this U.S. Men's training camp now a couple of facts to know it's a very young age burhalter called 28 players uh all from mls average age is about 24.5 couple of older guys or just with more experience michael bradley jesse sardez will trap 13 uncapped players eight whom uh, will experience their first u.s men's national team camp and then they're going to play a couple friendlies January 27th against Panama. And then the following couple of days later, February 2nd uh, in San Francisco or the Bay Area against Costa Rica. 
But guys, a, a lot of new faces, names to pay attention to. Joseph. Um, so I kind of, in my mind, divided the roster up into into a couple of different groups. I think some of the names that I'm trying to pay attention to are guys, I think, who could become more regular contributors. So, you know, starting with Zach Steffen, I think he still is the starting goalkeeper. Um, he has a familiarity with Berhalter. So I'll be keeping my eye on him to see, does he look, you know, more comfortable? Does he look better with his feet? Um, under under Berhalter, I'm not sure if that would have any effect, but it'll be interesting to see Stefan. And then just a few other names, uh, Reggie Cannon, Armand's guy, and then Yay. Aaron Long, Kellen Acosta, and Russell Canal. So Cannon at right back, I think I, I'm a big fan of his game personally. And I think he could be a really good fit for the presumed style that maybe we're expecting to see with the U.S. Men's National Team now with Berhalter. And then Aaron Long, maybe he can push... Um, Matt Miazga or John Brooks at center back to become a more regularly played guy. And then Acosta and Canals in midfield, specifically Canals, um, maybe at the six and looking at how he performs. So, Armand, what about you? Well, before Armand, sorry, you say Kellen Acosta. Why? I mean, he goes, he makes, I guess, the transfer, the trade from well, Dallas to Colorado. And then... He gets called up to the national team. He scores a goal, if I remember, against, was it Columbia? In the 4-2 the yeah. loss? Yeah. Yeah. Has Kellen Acosta, he's at the age of 23. Is he going, you know, is he getting maxed out here? Like, is he going to be an MLSer for life? Or is there still a chance that he makes a move overseas and it's just kind of follow, finding the right team for him? It's, I think Acosta probably is is an MLS player at this point. And I don't necessarily think that that's, that's a bad thing. Maybe it's not quite what we expected of him a couple of years ago, but I've sort of, you know, pieced Acosta and uh, Christian Roldan and maybe even Marquis Delgado a little bit in the same group. And I'm just interested to see how those three guys, and Acosta specifically, function under Burhalter. And so that's a little bit more of a, a curiosity uh, thing for me less that I think maybe he's on the same uh, profile as some of the other guys I mentioned, but I am still intrigued to see how he performs if he gets on the field. My list of players to watch, I'm actually going to agree with Joseph here. Kel Acosta was number one on my list, and here's why. I think it's to prove here that he's, a, a, that he's basically more of a veteran with the national team. He's 23. He's entering an age where, you know what, you're kind of beginning to creep towards your prime, um, and remember, the expectations for Kellen Acosta were ridiculously high, and now he's with the Rapids, I mean, like we like we talked about, with the Rapids. Is he really a rising star anymore? I, I don't know. Like, I don't think you can consider him a rising star in a lock, especially with many of his guys, you know, going into uh, Europe. Uh, I don't think Kellen Acosta is a, a lock for, you know, the, the qualification, maybe for the Gold Cup, but I think he has something to prove. He has to prove, hey, I belong here. I'm the best out of this group. If Acosta isn't the best out of this group, then yikes. Because this is a guy who we, we linked to Europe uh, two seasons back, and now he's with the Rapids. And he has to progress at some point. So I, I agree. Kellen Acosta is one player that I'd like to watch. Another player I'd be really interested to watch. Uh, I, I, I want to see how the two Philadelphia Union uh, homegrowns do. Mark McKenzie and Austin Trusty. Um they're both relatively young. They both 
played really well in MLS, if, if we think about it. And there were consistent stars week in and week out. I want to see if one of them can break into the rotation and, you know, say, hey, look, maybe we're, maybe we're better. And they can break in and try to get a Gold Cup spot. Maybe not like a playing spot in the Gold Cup, but one of those last few spots for some players to gain experience. And then another player I look out for is Christian Ramirez. A lot of people talked about him playing with the U.S. men's national team and how he, he would help us for. I think it's the most goals across all American leagues since 2014. You have to fact check me on that one. That one. I just read a tweet a couple months ago, so it prompted me, prompted me to think that. And, you know, give some competition to Giassi Zardes. I think the U.S. men's national team was lacking some, you know, some good forward play. I think Ramirez would be a welcome sight to see. Giassi Zardes is 27 years old. Just looked that up. He's he's older. Hey, I mean, he has for, some former left, former uh, outside back too. Considering that he went to Columbus, he scored 19 goals. He was fifth or fourth tied in MLS scoring as far as just goals alone. He's familiar with the coach. That has a that has to have a big leg up. Now, my big name I think is has to be Michael Bradley. Just to know what experience he is he bringing and. Will that translate into the future? Because we have all these youngsters, not only here in MLS, especially in Europe. I mean, you could probably build a starting 11 just based on what's in Europe alone. Uh, Stefan, I don't know how you want to count him as still MLS-based because he's on loan for for another six, seven months before he actually makes the transfer to City. But you you have a great squad right now just building in Europe. How's that going to push out some of these MLS players? But Michael Bradley, does he have a future? I think, remember, he still has the stigma of captaining United States to utter failure. And that's not going to leave him. I mean, those boos that ring around MLS lasted for a very long time. I will not forget that. And remember, Ibrahimovic joked around. I don't know, maybe he was very serious about this, how Michael Bradley looks like a philosopher when you know he just needs to shut up and play i i think michael bradley maybe i just can never get over the quote over lions and lambs or whatever it was armana sheep sheep, sheep lions sheep. and sheep <laughs> i i just can't get that out of my mind and i just wonder if he really has a future like i said he's on the wrong side of 30 and you have all these kids coming up why not just build a team that's not gonna just play for the gold cup play for 2022 Two, but play for 2026, build it over a period of time. And I think Michael Bradley can easily just be cut out of the picture. Maybe. I've, I've got a question for you guys about yeah, Michael Bradley. I'm interested. Do you think the, the experience and the potential leadership he provides to this group, specifically this group in January camp, do you think that's a positive thing or is it a negative thing? Uh, I would go positive. And you know what? And I would even say this. If Michael Bradley, what, is, he, he's, is he 32? 31. If 31? So, what, in three years, he'll be, what, 34, 35, give or take? Um, I, I would love to see Michael Bradley in the 2022 World Cup squad. But not as a starter, as someone that you can bring off the bench to help you see out a result, to, you know, provide that leadership. You know, with 75, with 10 minutes left in the 75, 80th minute, you need to get a result. You bring in the closer, Michael Bradley, come in to set up shop and kill the game. I would, lo- I would love to see that. And I think his experience does help these guys because Michael Bradley, uh, when I talked to Reggie Cannon about his you know, first cap uh, with National he specifically, I think, mentioned Michael Bradley as a guy who gave him experience and you know helped him uh, with, with his transition. I think it's important, especially maybe for a guy like Knauss, who's probably going to be playing the same role as Bradley, 
Um, you get that leadership. You get that, or, or Will Trapp, who I think has been playing more of a Bradley Escarol or Dave Sarakan. Oh, I mean, that's Dave Sarakan. So you, you can take it with a grain of salt. But these guys, like Michael Bradley, has experience in the World Cup. Like, let's not forget this. This guy was really good when he was at Roma. I think his experience does help the team. And like I said, I'd like to see him on a 2022 squad if he doesn't retire. Well, maybe I'm Mr. Negative for the show, but after the Gold Cup, I highly consider him just cutting him out. Just let the young guys grow. Let them gel. Let them fail together. Let them grow. But this is a new generation. Burhalter shouldn't really look to the past. He should look to the future. And if, yeah, expectations is to win the Gold Cup. They're probably guaranteed a final, right? But even if hopefully, they hopefully, hopefully, but I don't know if if it's necessarily a bad thing for for Burhalter to select, you know, an under twenty six, under twenty seven squad and be like, this is the team for the future that you're gonna watch them, you know, have some growing pains, but it's gonna be consistent, and you want to have a, a base where you can sprinkle a couple of new faces every couple year, uh, every year that you know come through through the ranks and let them fill in. But you want Pulisic to be the next leader. Michael Bradley can only hang around so much. So I I see your point, Armand. But I, I wonder if the the more you know strategic move is to be like, here's you know, here's our next captain. He's gonna lead us for the next eight years, rather than have the captain armband be just, you know, thrown around from players every couple of years because th- there isn't one true guy. Maybe it's Pulisic. I just don't know if he has that leadership capabilities that, you know, we see. I mean, Messi is a, a real good captain. We know that. I think on Bradley, I'm I'm right in the middle of the two of you, trending more towards Stevens, Stevens' point. I don't see a huge issue with Michael Bradley being in, in camps like this one and maybe maybe even in March when that one rolls around to to provide that leadership that Reggie Cannon was talking about, maybe that individual um, assistance and experience. You can talk with some guys on the team about, you know, his time playing, whatever, whatever that looks like. But I'd rather Armand was saying, you know, maybe in 2022, we bring on Michael Bradley to close out a game. I'd rather that guy be Tyler Adams and I'd rather Tyler Adams be you know, starting. Or, you know, well, what, what, yeah. what, what, I, I would like an Adams to start or something like that. But I think the importance of a, sorry to interrupt you, Joseph, no, the you're importance good. of a, a vet just coming at the bench. I think, I think we under. I think it's a little bit understated. Um, we saw Jeff Lorenowitz, guys, play a huge role in Atlanta winning MLS Cup, and I, I, I think it's a little understated because he allowed. He, he just he just read the game well with his positioning. Uh, as I guess he's more of a center back in in that case. But I think the importance of a guy who ha, who's been there, done that. The pressure doesn't get to him. Well, I mean, it it maybe it might a little bit, but. Uh, who he just he's just been there and done that. And if you can bring him off the bench as like maybe a twenty as maybe a twenty second or twenty third guy, I mean you don't have to play him every game, and you'll still have the young guys starting and taking the majority of the minutes. But I know we're arguing about not we're discussing about something three out uh, three years ahead. But I, I think I think he can play a valuable role on, on a roster as just a bench player, but not a player that has to play every minute or whatever this is my two cents joseph continue yeah no i think i think that's fair i just I'm, I'm a little bit scared with bradley i remember i think it was against columbia the friendly back in what was that october i think <laughs> and mm. he came on in that sort of you know spot sub appearance role and 
I, maybe it was the system, maybe it was people, players not understanding their defensive responsibilities under Sarikin, but I seem to remember Bradley being a little bit more of a liability than an asset off the bench. But I think to qualify that in a in a distinct system with clear instructions, maybe that wouldn't be the case. But I'd personally be more inclined to sure, if you want Michael Bradley on the roster, that's fine. I'd rather him probably not ever see the field, but I, I totally understand <laughs> what you're coming, like the angle you're coming from. Maybe, maybe Michael Bradley's what the twenty third man on the roster. Maybe you have him just as a voice, and it, it's yeah. actually, I think, Armand, you you do raise a fair point. Think about it. There's going to be an eight year gap or eight and a half year gap because the World Cup is going to be played in December. From the you know what U.S. men's national team player will have played in the World Cup last. What about Josie Altador? Will he have room? He, remember, he's uh, 28, 29. So he's going to be younger than Michael Bradley. He pulled his, uh, was it his hamstring in 2014? Uh, uh, I against, think so, yeah. Against Ghana within, I don't know, the, within the first 20 minutes. So does he have the experience? I don't know. He, he didn't play it out. Michael Bradley might fill in that experience level, but use the gold cup and then you got to sign up the u.s miss national team for other competitions or create a new competition that allows for further uh development and better competition the gold cup is not it's something that people look at and be like how is this helping the u.s men's national team they don't have the opportunity to play in carnival or in uefa where it is grinding results Every time you play a friendly, because you're playing against nations of equal or higher stature than yourself, especially if you're, you know, a smaller nation. Guys, I've got the solution. Okay. Uh, let's just bring, you know, it's it's not complicated. Let's just bring, uh, shoot, what's his name? Oh, my goodness. Oh, there we go. Let's just bring Demarcus Beasley, you know? <laughs> yes. 2022 starting left back. I think that's all. Jesus, man. How old will he be? Like 40? Man, Five? I'm getting old. I couldn't even remember his name. That guy's still Jeez. around. Still and around. He's, and he's still playing really good, too. Like, for a guy his age. Like, Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm on board, Armand. All right, I'm on board. You, 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 got, you got me, Joseph. You yeah, got me. Yeah, tweet, tweet at us, Unc Sam Soccer Pod at Joe and Cleats. Do you agree? Marcus Beasley should be the starting left back in 2022. But uh, moving. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Hey, moving. send all your hate mail to Joe and Cleese. Yeah, w- welcome to the uh, hate if, mail if segment. You hate, if you hate my if you hate my Michael Bradley uh uh take, you can uh send it your hate mail to at Joe and Cleese. I'm just trying to take the heat off. But uh biggest holes or flaws in this US men's national team and you you can maybe talk about it in the January camp or you could just talk about it as as a whole. Uh what does Burhalter have to worry about most here? And Armand, let's begin with you. I would say defensively. Um, look, we, look, DeAndre Yedlin does play in Newcastle, but I'm not 100% sold on on his play. Uh, I don't think he's a competent left back yet, right? Uh, he starts within, I mean, week in and week out. We just said this last week. I, I mean, yeah. that's. I said that, that it's great for him, but I'm just still not sold on him. Uh, he's, he's made a few errors for uh, Newcastle, and – you know, I think Reggie Cannon could, you know, sweep up and, you know, take that spot. But I think that's also my Reggie Cannon bias kicking in. So, because um, we hit our FC Dallas quota for the day. So, we, 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 just, we, we just hit that. Thank you, guys. 
But I mean, look, John Brooks has you know struggles has struggled to stay a little to stay healthy. Uh, Miazga, mm, I remember that Matt Doyle tweet where he talked about how uh, Miazga would be better than John Stones. Yikes! Uh, that's that that that's a, that's gonna pen out Hot as well. Hot take, police. And, you're arrested. Hot take, police. You're under arrest, Matt Doyle. And uh, left back, I think we have Ant- there's Anthony Robinson who's getting a, a lot of minutes, and he has this weird tendency to try to use his pace uh, when he gets beat to you know make up for it. So he'll get beat and then try to use his pace to catch up, and that usually doesn't work when you have a guy like Neymar on your uh, on your side. So I think defensively, like Berhalter, I think this is a work uh, cut out for him, and if he can, you know, there's a lot of good players coming up. Uh, I think Aaron Long also has a shot at you know. Trying to get uh, trying to get some minutes there, but I'm more I'm a little bit more worried defensively, um, but I'm also very negative when it comes to the U.S. national team. So I think you copied off my notes, Amon, because um, I think yeah. I have almost exactly what you just said typed out about DeAndre Yedlin and and left back in the left back spot as well. I'm not sold on Yedlin either, especially you know not just because. He's maybe not been great for the U.S. over the past you know, year or whatever. But it, I don't know that he's a great fit for how Berhalter likes to play. I don't think Yedlin's a very – like he doesn't bring a lot of value on the ball. He's, he's got pace and he can, he can get wide and stretch opposing uh, defenses out. But he doesn't have great passing ability. Like, you know, you see Harrison Awful for the crew. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's a real asset in that, in that system with the ball – and I'm not sure Yedlin brings that. And then on the left, uh, I'm really interested to see how Greg Garza does in this camp because mm-hmm. I think that actually might be a winnable spot. I think Anthony Robinson has potential, and I'm not saying we should give up on him by any stretch. But you know, you're playing a World Cup qualifier in Honduras. Maybe that's Greg Garza that you want starting at left back. I don't know, but I'm intrigued to see him. Are you worried about where the goals are coming from? Like I know defensively, that that's a big flaw. I know defensively we have issues, um, and it's weird to think that we, the United States, has had issues defensively because historically it seems that's position or that's kind of the area of the field that we're more solid in, and it was been, it's always been offensively the creativity. Where's that going to come from? Now the midfield, I think we're we're pretty talented across the board if you look at it as a whole. Now this is oversimplifying it. But where are the goals coming from? Because we don't have a consistent one-two punch. You know, is it Bobby Wood? Is it Jesse Sardis? Is it some of the young guys? Sargent, Weya? What What are we doing to produce goals? What is going to get into the back of the net? And is Christian Pulisic under Burhalter going to play more centrally where he's going to be that 10? Or is he going to be more of that, you know, that winger, that seven that flies and up and down the 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 pitch? So, Joe, uh, Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong, but Berhalter ran what, like a four-two-three-one of yeah. sorts. Yeah, with, mostly four-two-three-one. Uh, yeah, with Inguain with more of a free roll, uh, Zardes up top, and then Santos and uh, I guess Miram on the wings, and the the fullbacks kind of booming up and down the pitch, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Uh, I would say Pulisic is more central in that instance because from what I've seen of the crew, which is a lot because of ESPN Plus. He has a he has a he has a Ingwain has a really free role. A- a- am I wrong by saying that, Joseph? I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong about that. No. Yeah, 
I think he has a relatively free role. But I can also see him being played on the wing, too. So it's going to be one of those things where Berhalter is going to have to weigh his options and be like, okay, where is Pulisic going to be best for that ro- for the roster? Because I could see Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney playing next to each other um, in in a in a four two three one with, I guess you'd have Adams be more. I, you, they they could switch on and off, but I have Adams more back, and I'd have McKinney a little bit more up, or vice versa. I mean, it's more of a it's more of a preference thing. I I don't know who you'd put that center attacking mid outside of Pulisic, unless I'm like thinking too narrow minded. You no, know, you raise an interesting point because I was thinking the same thing and. Don't do you have to consider Joseph Pulisic's max? Like, where can you maximize Pulisic? Is if he is say 100% on the wing and centrally he's only 82%, do you take the 82% of Pulisic's max potential over the 100% where he's comfortable on that wing? That's a really great way to phrase the question because the only the answer, the short answer is I don't know. Uh, (laughs) the long answer is I think you. Personally, my preference would be to take the 100% on the wing and play without sort of that Higuain-style playmaker simply because I don't think Pulisic is is that like-for-like replacement. Higuain, from what I've seen of him, and I can't say that I've seen a ton of the crew. I've seen a good bit. but You have ESPN Plus, Joseph? Come no, on. I do. I just am not grinding those crew games like you are, Mom. <laughs> um, but I think Pulisic is a little bit more of a type of player that likes to drive into space, whereas Higuain does that, but maybe it's more of a connector between midfield and attack. And I could be wrong about that, but I think Pulisic might be better in that Justin Miram role where he starts out wide and maybe he he comes into midfield to add another number and to give the U.S. an advantage. And then Pulisic has the ball at his feet and he can drive forward from there. So personally, my preference from a tactical standpoint would, would be to see him maybe start on the right and then come in, drift in slightly into midfield and then move the ball up from there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see either central or out wide. What what about the goal scoring? Do you have a worry with finding someone who can be a regular and somebody where there can be a a chemistry built around? Because I think with all these young guys and just the lot of them, you got to start dwindling down on a core that you're going to be able to just get them in rotation, let them feel each other. Because that's the hardest part about national team football is building chemistry or just regularity that you know club football has a huge advantage where you see these guys week in and week out consistently yeah I think there is a concern about where the goals are coming from uh you know Pulisic can provide obvious benefits in attack but if if maybe we're just saying it's a 4-3-3 you know as a basic example who's playing striker and who's on the left wing maybe two three years from now Josh Sargent and Timmy Weah or Jonathan Amen on the left maybe are regular starters at a at a decent sized club and you know you can rely on them to score some goals. But right now, even just looking at this January camp roster, the forwards are Abobasi, who's more of a holdup guy, Christian Ramirez and Zardes, who you know are known for their goal scoring. But I don't know how they translate on the international level. So I mean, are you looking at Altador still? I, I don't know. I the the answer is yeah, we should be concerned about where the goals are coming from. At least that's my take. Wow, I would be intrigued to see Wea and Outdoor play off each other. You know, have Wea with his runs pull off, have and, and have Outdoor as more of that target guy. I mean, I'd be really interested to see that. But I, I, am I concerned? Of course, I'm concerned. It's U.S. Men's National Team. I have confidence that they win the 2022 World Cup, and I'm still concerned. Come on, uh, Zardes. 
works really well and uh, with Berhalter's system. And I was actually talking to Harrison Crow, uh, a good friend of Joseph, uh, about this. He he writes for American Soccer Analysis, and it's a great website. You should go check it out. It's a data analytic website. And he told he showed me that he showed me a number that was really interesting, which is how much Zardes is involved in possession, leading up to the cruise play, and it's not much. So so think about it. In Borhalter's system, Zardes is not involved in the possession as much. He's just there to score goals. That's a defined role. And I think that's why Zardes, I think, is going to have a little bit of a head start over everyone else. Because he played that role that Burhalter gave him, not perfectly, but pretty damn close to it. So, I mean, in that role with, Ber- with, with Burhalter, I would say Zardes is a good fit. I'm not that concerned. But in this camp, okay, maybe a little bit. Because they don't have Pulisic. Well, Just saying. It, I think it's very hard to when we talk about these holes and flaws. We're talking about the U.S. men's national team adding as in as a whole, as yep. a whole, adding in all those European-based players. You can't really make much of the flaws and holes in this January roster because it's it's a training camp. It's you're gonna play, pick players to get experience to to introduce them to to the national team and and see where they are in their development. So it's. It's complicated with the U.S. men's national team. We have a coach. We'll see how it is. I mean, these two friendlies coming up, uh, can we make much of them? Yes, I think I, we actually can. I, and I, I think I'd agree. Sorry to cut you off, Armand. I think maybe to go back slightly to the last question about where the goals are coming from, these friendlies will give us an idea of where they're coming from. I think there's a real chance that the scoring comes from the system and from the players playing in a cohesive, you know, possession scheme and moving down the field as a unit. This is in a perfect world, obviously. And maybe it matters less who the players scoring the goals are and more how effective the system is at creating a high number of those goal scoring chances. Listen, Burhalter's system was good. Now imagine it with the best players uh, in the U.S. men's national team pool. That's what I'm interested to see. And these friendlies do have meeting because you can see Burhalter implement his system so we can at least get an idea of what he wants to do. I think that's the most important thing. We got Look, it's going to be a January camp. They're not going to be the best players. But I want to see what he wants to do, what we should be looking for with those key players, and some trademark Burhalter things, such as maybe the forward not being as involved in the build-up as possession, uh, in the build-up to possession. The fullbacks, how do they perform? Uh, the, the midfields, the low blocks, etc. I'm really interested to see how Burhalter sets up. Uh, because it's the first glimpse we're going to have as him, you know, being head coach. We can talk about him being a head coach all we want. We have been for the last year and a half. But let's let's see how he does now, and let's see what he brings to the table. Well, Joseph, a lot smoother than last time you were on. <laughs> you could uh, follow him, follow him, listeners, Joe and Cleet. Wonderful content. Love his pieces for The Athletic. Follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. Catch his work on Pro Soccer USA. I'm Steven Jodrand. Come back tomorrow. We got some MLS chat for you. And yeah, tweet us, Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Give us your thoughts with this U.S. men's national team. Anything that we alluded to on the show today, maybe you have some other points that you want, you missed, that we missed. Kabiri 4, a player that you're watching in training camp. Let us know. Till next time.
Welcome back to Uncle Sam's American Soccer Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to go back and listen to myself, Stephen Jodrin, and our guest, Joseph Lowry, talking about the U.S. Men's National Team training camp, the U.S. Men's National Team as a whole. You can follow me on Twitter at Armand Kafai. You can follow Stephen Jodrin at Twitter at Stephen Jodrin. And you can follow Joseph Lowry, our special guest from The Athletic, on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. Let's jump into the episode. So we just got done talking about the U.S. men's national team in our last episode. Now we're going to talk about everyone's favorite league. Come on. Come on. You guys got to say it with me. All right. Say Major League Soccer. Come on. One, One two, three. Indian Super Major, League. Major League oh Soccer. Oh, my God. What the? Indian Super League? <laughs> you don't even watch the Indian Super League. I have. You've never watched the Indian Super League. Yes, I have. No, you haven't. I've watched two minutes. You've watched probably two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> on ESPN Plus because you're bored at like 6 a.m. Because yep. I've done the same thing. <laughs> I think we all have. It, I, I, Yeah, it's not good soccer. But on, on is, Actually, on a side note, guys, where does Major League Soccer rank as far as the World Leagues? Do, well, I'm really throwing a, a question like that like right off the bat, man. No, but like, has, has it changed the last couple of years, or are we still bubbling on the same as it was three or four years ago? Oh, it's changed. I mean, come on. With a team like Atlanta United coming in, they're fun, entertaining football, they're loud, they're loud crowd, and the players that are now coming to MLS is definitely changed perception-wise. I think perception-wise, it probably is starting to change. I'm not convinced on the whole it's necessarily risen a whole lot in terms of other leagues, but I'm optimistic that it, it is slowly changing and definitely will rise. Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, you're right there. I think on the club level, like individual clubs, it cha- it's completely different from Atlanta to Colorado to the Revs to LAFC to Seattle and TFC. Like, you know, every club is on its own level. And discussion for another day. I, just, I thought I'd throw that out there since we're talking about the Indian Super League. Now, listeners, we're chatting about the philosophy of MLS draft. And then we're going to get into a different philosophical issue of FC Dallas versus the Atlanta United model. So we'll talk about that, but let's get to the draft. Now, Armand, you have really awesome feelings about MLS draft, don't you? I hate MLS draft. But I I think yesterday, uh, well, we're recording this on, what, Thursday? So on, on Wednesday, we saw a trade uh, happen between the Philadelphia Union and the FC Cincinnati. Uh, the Union... <laughs> Basically, Union Sporting Director Ernst Tanner came in, looked at, went to the combine, and said, "Yeah, we're not going to get any of the guys. We don't, we only think two or three guys are going to really be good for developmental purposes. So we're not, we're we're not going to pick." And he traded all their draft picks to FC Cincinnati for a grand total of one hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, ge- uh, general allocation money, or as we call it, GAM on this show. Uh, they had a 13th overall pick and then, you know, some other irrelevant picks in there. And Tanner was quoted in, uh, I'm referring to an article on Pro Soccer USA. You can read my stuff there as well. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to throw a plug in there. I had to. Uh, he said the level of MLS has increased a lot. And I think that the level of the universities has been more or less the same. There's quite a big gap. Out of what I've seen, there are a lot of players who are quite okay for the USL level, but doesn't make us better in MLS. Uh, I think Steven, Jake, and I had a good discussion about this uh, off the mic, and I'll bring it to you. Uh, bring it to y'all in a second. But Joseph, what do you think 
of the draft as a whole. It seems like it's losing relevance year in and year out. We, we've, we're hearing reports that values for draft picks are lowering. I think a value for a draft pick last year was around, you know, six digits. But the union trade all their picks for $150,000 uh, $150, in general allocation money. So it seems to have gone down a little bit. But overall, it's, it's, do you think the draft's a good asset for teams to utilize? Mm, uh, honestly, no, not really. I think... I think Tanner kind of has it right here. There's not the the level of players that are being drafted are not necessarily major league soccer level. And I don't think anyone expects them necessarily to be at that level right away. But, you know, for a team like the Union, what's what's the motivation for them to draft players when they have a USL team that they can, you know, filter their academy guys through or, or assign players that they can assign from a wide wider pool of players that they can bring in? I mean, I don't know what the motivation is for them to, you know, to get all excited about the draft when they have other resources that they can use that are maybe even uh, more functional. Doesn't doesn't this illustrate the problem within U.S. soccer structure that here's MLS, this up and coming league growing. Now it has surpassed the college ranks, well past college ranks in the point that it's almost insignificant, meaningless so if you're a youngster, you can't get into an MLS academy. What do you do? You go to college. Well, if you can't go to pro, what are you doing, right? So MLS has a really tough task on what to do. But this is a, a broader issue is what's the college game even worth anymore? If the coaching, if the development of players there are so putrid that it's US, USL level, then just make the draft USL based and you allow MLS teams to start buying for some money for usl so you, you create a market for players and you allow youngsters to go get ex professional experience but you allow mls to do their own thing maybe maybe this is you know tinfoil ted here i look at the draft i mean i've spoken to people who do play collegiate soccer who have played collegiate soccer and they tell me how how it's not necessarily the coaching but it's it's the scheduling that's brutal on them. You know, playing two games a week uh, is pretty tough on a lot of these guys because, A, they're not pros, and, B, you know, they have to, and they need to impress. So, you know, sitting out with an injury may not be an option for some of these guys because they want to improve their stock and they'll play through injury, and that just, that just uh, hampers them later on in their career. It, the, the draft, I think, coaching-wise, there is, there is some value there. I know... Many people have talked great about their college coaches, but I think it's just a format that's just really bad and really brutal on the body. And it's, it makes people – I know a guy, D1 player, doesn't want to play pro. That, that, shouldn't, be, that shouldn't be an expectation. I, mean, I, I feel like you, know, like you should always have the aspiration to go pro, but he, he just says, no, I don't want to go pro. I mean college game is kind of you know my knees. My knees hurt. Everything hurts. Like I don't know if I want to play. It's, it's, stuff, it's stuff like that. And the college game itself, MLS teams are punting on a draft now. I think Montreal traded all their picks last year, and now the Union have done it as well. Look, I, I, I said this to Steven multiple times. If you're not a GA player, if I was a GM, I would only draft Generation Ideas players. They don't go against your they, – they don't count as a cap hit, basically. And also, you know what? If, it, if they don't work out because they're not a cap hit, all right, it doesn't 